Well, good evening. Hey, if I have never met you, welcome. Uh, my name is Jeffrey. I am one of the pastors on staff, and I am, uh, I'm really excited about this series. I, I had like 10 people this week ask me, hey, so, so after everything was going on in the world, did you all like shift to this series on loving your neighbor? No, we're not that good, okay? So that's just like God just had this series orchestrated for us to have in the middle of like a bunch of stuff going on in the world and things getting really wild and crazy. We get to spend three weeks just talking about what it looks like to love our neighbor. And I, I wanted to, to kick off this evening with a question for parents, okay? If you're not a parent, that's okay. You can probably relate. Parents, is there anything in the world more creative than a child who does not want to go to bed? No, they are the single most creative beings at all, at, at all time. Though that child who does not want to go to bed is the most creative thing that has ever existed. So I went to the Google this week and I looked up some, uh, some tweets from kids or from parents about their kids not wanting to go to bed. This one said, my four-year-old will not fall asleep. She said it's because she wonders what she looks like when she's sleeping and it's keeping her awake. <laughs> Okay, here's the problem. Now don't you wonder what you look like when you're asleep? Okay. I don't get why people think getting kids to bed is hard. All my son needs is a drink of water, four songs from daddy, a trip to the potty, Superman flight to bed, an inventory of his stuffed animals, a tissue, two more songs, look at my watch for 45 seconds and do this seven more times, right? Can anyone relate? All right. My preschooler's new nighttime stall tactic is to wait till he's snugly tucked into bed and ask that we prepare him a bowl of soup. This is my favorite. Me, go to bed, my seven-year-old, I have a question. What, how many fingers does a pterodactyl have? Now neither of us is gonna be able to sleep until I look it up. All right, it's the last one. It's bedtime, number four, four-year-old. Read one more book. You're stalling, what's stalling? When you try not to go to bed, let's talk about stalling. All right, we can, I mean, my kids are incredible children, but if you want to see them at their most fine, the, the most excellent excuse creativity, it is right when they go to bed. And if you, if you can't relate to that, if you're a parent and you have no idea what I'm talking about up here with a child that doesn't want to go to bed, write a book, okay? We need that book. We need your wisdom inserted into the world because I cannot relate to you. My kid can just be like eating crayons all day long, goes to bed and turns into Orson Welles at what she can come up with. Like it's incredible the excuses that a child can come up with. And, and here's the problem. If it wasn't so frustrating that they weren't going to bed, it would be really funny. Like it would be really funny if, if, if they weren't needing this thing called sleep. I mean, I'm their dad. I can tell you that I know what is absolutely best for them in this moment is that they need rest. Little kids need more rest than most. They're healthier when they're rested. They do better at school when they're rested. They're kinder with their siblings when they're rested. Everything about their life is better whenever they're rested. Yet, they will come up with excuse after excuse after excuse to miss out on something that is actually for their good. You know who else does that pretty well? We do. We don't do it about the bed. We love the bed. Adore the bed. I mean, am in love with my, I love getting into my bed and I hate getting out of it. But the other things, we know eating healthy is best for us, right? You know what else is good, though? 
tacos. I mean, eating healthy is expensive. We can come up with excuse after excuse to miss out on the things that in general are are better for us and more important for us. The gym. I could write books on why I think that the gym is a waste of time and all the excuses that I've used to not go to the gym and yet we will all acknowledge that going to the gym would be better for me than not going to the gym. We make up excuses for missing work. We have excuses for not attending event or maybe going to something else instead of what we had committed to. We are incredible at making up excuses in our life even if those excuses are causing us to miss out on the most important thing. Even if the excuses that we come up with in the moment are actually to our detriment, just like my child fighting against going to bed is doing something, coming up with an excuse that is for her harm, we come up with excuses all the time that cause us to miss out on the best things. So like eating healthy, yeah, we can come up with every excuse to not do it, but you know that heart disease is the number one killer of people in the United States. We probably should eat a little healthier. The gym, I can write books on why I've missed the gym and excuses that I can give on not going to the gym. However, you tell me a person that goes to the gym and a person that's not go, that doesn't go to the gym, and you tell me which one of those people are healthier. We can go on and on and on about the reasons, the excuses that we use in our life that cause us to miss out on the important things or the best things. See, we are so often allowing an excuse-filled life to cause us to miss out on what's best for us. And what is for our good. And these excuses that we have at the ready as fast as we can come up with. These excuses are stealing the life from us that God has for us. Through talking about this command last week, this week, and next week. Talking about this command on loving your neighbor. Yes, it's a command that we're given in scripture. But but this command, this thing that is told to believers. Is actually for your good, and it can breathe life into everyone around you when you buy into the truth that loving your neighbor is best for you, and we stop coming up with excuses to not do it. I want to show you, so if you will, grab a Bible. We're going to camp out in Luke 10. If you didn't bring a Bible, you have a Bible around you. There's one underneath your chair or the chair in front of you, and this passage of Scripture is is Jesus, and he's talking to a lawyer, Another telling of this story says that he's talking to an expert in the law. And so this guy is an educated man. He's a smart man. He knows what he's talking about. And Jesus and this lawyer have this interaction. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. So you got Jesus having this conversation with this lawyer and and the lawyer tells him, asks him this question. Hey Jesus, how do I get eternal life? How do I end up in heaven? What does it look like for me to have that life? And he's baiting Jesus with this question. He's asking Jesus a question, probably because he's heard Jesus is going around telling people that the way you can get eternal life is through him. And this guy is an expert in the law. And so he goes, Jesus, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus goes, hey, you're an expert. You tell me. So Jesus puts it back on him. And he goes, well, 
The law says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all you are, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus goes, that's right. Great, great job. You're, you are correct. That is how you have eternal life. And then Jesus says this phrase, do this and you will live. And this week, I've read, the, I've read this, this passage of scripture that ends with the parable of the Good Samaritan. I've read it a thousand times in my life and I've missed that phrase almost every time. Do this and you will live. Jesus doesn't say, do this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all you are. Love him that way and love your neighbor as yourself. And that is how you will end up in heaven. That is how you will have eternal life. Jesus says, you do those two things and you will live, not just have eternal life. And it seems like what Jesus is saying is the key for us living the life that he has for us is that we have to buy into those two commands. We have to believe with all that we are that that is how I can live. And this story, this interaction between Jesus and the lawyer is, is told in other parts of scripture. It's in, in another of the synoptic gospels. So here's a fancy word for you. The synoptic gospels are the first three books of the New Testament. So it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And there are three different stories, I mean, there are three different writings of similar stories and parables, but from three different perspectives. You know why? Because we all see things a little differently than one another, do we not? And so these three men write three different perspectives of similar stories. And so there are little differences in them at times. And actually, if you want, just a, this is free of charge, has nothing to do with my sermon, but I was thinking about this this week. Is I, in my Bible reading plan that I do every day, I, in the Bible app, which you can download on the Google Play Store, or the iTunes Store, it has different reading plans, and it actually has one that does the reading the Bible in chronological order, which if you didn't know this, the Bible's not written in chronological order. There's parts of it that are kind of out of order and put where it makes most sense in the narrative of Scripture. And so in this reading in chronological order, you hit the synoptic gospels at the same time. So I'll read this story and then immediately read it from one of the other perspectives. And it's a fascinating, I've never done that in all of my Bible reading. It's a fascinating way to read scripture. So if you ever want to do that, they also sell a physical chronological Bible. But this story with Jesus and the lawyer is told in a different perspective in the book of Matthew. And it says this, Jesus replies to the expert in the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God with all that you are and just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Everything about your world and your life hangs on those two things. When I was thinking about it this week, I thought, it's like two hinges on a cabinet door. Has anyone ever had to install their own cabinet doors? Okay, God help you, okay? I had to do it this week, or this last two weeks ago. We had taken our cabinet doors down. We had decided we were gonna do some renovations in our kitchen, and so we took them down, we did the work to them, and the problem with taking down the cabinet doors is that you then also have to put them back up. So we had to do it. So we started putting them back up, and we would get one hinge on, and the second would like never latch. It was a miracle if we could get one to latch. 
And so then we would take it off and then we'd try to put it back on and then the bottom one would latch, but the top one wouldn't latch. And it was this insanely frustrating thing. I mean, if you pray the prayer, God, I need patience, what he's gonna tell you to do is do a home renovation project because that is what will give you patience or is what's gonna make you lose your hair like mine. Sometimes it's both. And so we had done this We had taken all our cabinets down. Now we had to put all of them back up and we could never get both hinges to connect at the same time. And you know what? That cabinet door would never ever work if we couldn't get both hinges to both latch. Because at one point I got mad and I told Sarah, you know what? We're gonna see if it works with one latch. Guess what? It doesn't. What it does do is fall off and mess up your brand new cabinet doors. Because you need both of those things to work together If you have any hope of that cabinet door fulfilling its function, it's never, ever going to work if you don't have both. And the weight and the the importance of this command that Matthew tells us right here is everything about everything hangs on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. In Luke, Jesus told the lawyer, do this and you will live. For us to have the life we desire, we need to both love God with all that we are able and love our neighbor as ourself. If we're really pursuing God with with all that we are, trying to pursue God with all that we are, and yet we do not care at any level what is happening to our neighbor, we will be a one-hinge door completely or never fulfilling our purpose. Have to have both. And I think, and this is going to be an uncomfortable thought for the evening, I think If we look around the church world in the last two and a half years, we see quite a bit of one-hingedness, hingedness, however you say that word that's not a word that I just made up. If we look around the church world, we see a lot of doing one of those things while letting go of the other. And I'm not necessarily talking about Beltway, although we are an imperfect church, we have times that we definitely probably do this, but you think about the last from 2020 to now, and we think about the world, we think about the church in the world, I think we can see lots of times that we, even the church, were okay loving God. We were okay with that. But the loving our neighbor piece was completely dependent on if they agreed with us. We were okay loving God with all that we are, trying to love God with all that we are, And if we agreed on COVID or if we agreed on politics or if we agreed on whatever big issue was being dealt with in the moment, then and only then could we also love you. We made excuse after excuse to make sure that our love for you was conditional on you fitting within this box that I was going to set for you. We've done a lot of one hinge door kind of loving our neighbor. And in doing so, we will always miss out on what Jesus told the lawyer. Do this and you will live. Like really live. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in doing that, you will live. In Luke's telling of the story, after Jesus tells the lawyer that do this and you will live, he, he sets up, the lawyer decides that he's going to try to set up a narrow definition of neighbor, and he says this. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, so who is my neighbor? So Jesus just told this guy, hey, if you want to have life, 
You have to love your neighbor as yourself. And this guy immediately tries to set up the excuse that he's going to use to exclude people from being his neighbor. And he says, okay, but Jesus, tell me then who is my neighbor? And he's not talking about the person to, that lives next to him. There's no way he was doing that because the answer, who is my neighbor, is so clear and so straightforward and so cut and dry. Who, who's my neighbor then, Jesus? He tosses out this question because he's trying to find the loophole. He's trying to find the way that he can begin to say, well, this person's going to be my neighbor, and this person's going to be my neighbor, and this person's going to be my neighbor, but this person over here, I can't have them be my neighbor because of X, Y, and Z. He tries to figure out this loophole of how I can begin to exclude people from being my neighbor. And so Jesus goes, all right, you want to try the exclusion game? Let me tell you a parable. So if you want to go and read this later, you can. It's Luke 10, 30 through 37. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'm going to give you the quick, quick Cliff Notes version of it. There's a man, he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. So he's, Jesus is telling this story to a Jewish audience. So this Jewish audience is going to picture the man going from Jerusalem to Jericho to be a Jewish man. And so he is walking, this Jewish man is going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And on the way he gets jumped and he gets beat up and he gets left for dead. And then while he is in that state, he got robbed, he has no money, he's dying on the side of the road. Up walks multiple people, multiple religious people that they walk up to him, they see him, and they go, no, nah, I'm going to go on the other side. Priest sees him, he's good. Levite sees him, I'm going to pass. And then up walks a Samaritan. And this Samaritan should see this Jewish man on the ground and enjoy his pain. Because Samaritans and Jews hate each other. They despised each other. They wanted nothing to do with one another. They wanted nothing good for the other person. And so Jesus goes, all right. Then comes the Samaritan guy. And you know what he does? He picks the guy up. He puts him on his animal, he takes him to the inn, and he pays for all of his bills. And then he tells the innkeeper, also, if there's any more bills, I'm going to come back and I'll, I'll pay anything else that's needed to get this guy healthy. And Jesus looks at the lawyer and he goes, all right, so you tell me, who was this guy's neighbor? And the lawyer goes, well, I mean, it, it had to be the guy who had mercy on him. It had to be the guy who made sure that he was taken care of. That, that had to be his neighbor. And Jesus goes, you're right. Now, go and do likewise. In telling the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus removes any chance for us to narrow down the definition of neighbor. A Samaritan caring for a Jew like that? I mean, that audience would have been like, there's no way. There's no way that that guy should care for him like that. There's no way because those two people, they hate each other. And in telling the parable of the Good Samaritan, what Jesus is doing, he's trying to go, hey, I know your goal is to make sure this definition of neighbor is as narrow as possible. And you're going to come up with any excuse to make sure that your neighbors that you want in there fit in it and then the ones that you don't, don't. But here's the deal. This is what a neighbor looks like. It's a Samaritan seeing a bleeding Jewish man left for dead and caring for him and meeting his needs anyway. And in, in telling this parable the way that he did, he's highlighting that we have no chance and no opportunity to exclude people because it's still never going to be as extreme, extreme as a Samaritan caring for a Jew. 
which is hard for us because we think that we have generally some pretty good excuses for not loving our neighbor. We're busy, right? I am as guilty as this as anyone. If I've ever seen you in the grocery store, I probably have headphones in. And I promise that they have stuff playing on them, but I've been tempted in the times that I wasn't even listening to something to put the headphones in and just go through the store so no one talked to me. Because I'm busy. And it's easy for me to see somebody and go, wow, I know I need to talk to them and catch up with them, but man, I'm, I'm just busy. I got a lot going on. And we can see our coworker out in public we know they've had a rough week. They've had a rough go of it. We know they're kind of, marriage has been dicey and kid stuff has been hard. And we can go, well, I got, I got to get dinner on the table. I got laundry to fold. And I got kids' lunches to pack. I got a lot going on. And we can so quickly reach into our bag of excuses and pull out the I'm busy excuse. Or right now, we're honest, the easiest excuse is just take your pick in the political world. Your next door neighbor's got a Trump 2024 flag, and you're like, I don't know about that. Biden 2020 sticker on the back of their car. You go, well, I know, I just, I know what's going to happen. I know if I go and I try to talk to them, and like we're just kind of just talking about nothing, eventually it's going to turn into politics, and then it's going to end up bad. And, and I'm, really what I'm doing is I'm saving them just the effort by not having to do that. So I'm, I'm loving them by not talking to them. Listen, you're not. Like a kid fighting off bedtime with the vigilance of something that is just incredible, we can vigilantly try to say no to our opportunities to love our neighbor by grabbing excuse after excuse. Maybe even it's fear. Not all of our excuses are bad things. It's fear because it's like, well, I know that they are in a relationship that I am uncomfortable with. I know that their religion is different than mine. I know that this right here is an area of uncomfortability and this fear causes us to just say, well, I'm going to take a step back. And what Jesus says in telling the parable of the Good Samaritan is, hey, that's not Samaritan and Jew. If that Samaritan was supposed to love that Jewish man that way, then we're supposed to love in that way. He says, it's not love your neighbor unless... And if you leave with anything this evening, let it be this. It is not love your neighbor unless. It's not love your neighbor unless they vote differently than you. It's not love your neighbor unless they look differently than you. It's not love your neighbor unless they don't deserve it. It's not love your neighbor unless whatever you fill in the blank. Nowhere in scripture, in every time that we see this, these words, love your neighbor, never is there a qualifier at any level. It just says love your neighbor. You don't have to agree with them because it doesn't say unless you agree. You don't have to like them. It doesn't say love your neighbor as long as they're likable. It just says love your neighbor. And we can easily grab hold of excuse after excuse, but all they're doing is stealing the life God has for us and for those around us. Love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus told the lawyer. Do this and you will live. 
So for a second, what I want you to do is I want you to think about your life. The people that you do life with, the people that you most regularly see day in and day out. Maybe it's your coworkers, because if you're honest, you spend more time with your coworkers than you do even your own spouse and kids. Maybe it's a friend that you kind of hang out with, somebody in your book club or somebody that you play golf with, your friends from the gym. Just, you think about the people in your world, the people that you do life with, with some regularity. And imagine, just imagine, what would life look like if you just intentionally loved them? Like, what would that be like? If you saw them and you just loved them. And that's kind of abstract. And I don't know about you, but the abstract hurts my brain. And so here at Beltway for the last season, we've talked about what does it look like for us to actually go out into our community and love people and tell people about Jesus. And so we've used this acronym because we're Christians and you must have an acronym. You heard SHAPE earlier, right? We announced SHAPE. Bless. We love five-letter acronyms. So bless. Begin with prayer. Listen with care. Eat together, serve with love, and share your story. So think about your life. Those people that you do life with regularly, the people you see, what would it look like if you just did one of these? Let's just ignore the less. What if, what if you just began to pray for them? Like you thought about them? Like I'm just going to, I'm going to spend 10 seconds. God, would you, would you bless my coworker? Would you bless their marriage? God, if they need to see you provide, would you show your provision? If they need to see you heal, would you heal? That was like 10 seconds of a prayer. But you know the beauty of that? Whenever we're intentionally praying for people, it is impossible to not see them as immensely valuable. Because what we're doing is we're remembering that God is for them and has things he wants to do in their life. I'll go back because I went past that first slide quickly. It's difficult when you're praying for somebody to not see the intrinsic value that they have. Because you are asking for God to move in their life. And then, you know, we can keep going. Listen with care. What if we, what if we listened? And not like we're able to regurgitate what they told us. What if, what if we stopped what we were doing, flipped our phone upside down, didn't let our Apple watch buzz the whole time, so we're only halfway listening. What if we looked them in the eye and we listened to what was going on in their world? Because you know what? They're going to tell you. They're going to tell you the wins that they're seeing and the difficulties in their marriage and the, the successes they're having with, parent, with parenting or the, the, the wrestles they're having in their job. You know what happens when you listen to people like that? It communicates that they are valuable to you. And then you stop and have a meal with them. You find an opportunity to serve them. And then at some point, you get the chance, because of the way you've loved them day in and day out, you get the chance to tell the story of what God has done in you and what he's doing, continuing to do in you. Can, you. can you imagine what your life would look like if that was the way we did it? And I may be honest with you. This is sometimes, I said this last week at South, there are some sermons you get up and preach and you feel like, I can do this, I do this pretty well. And there's other ones you get up and you preach out of your weakness. 
This is one that is a preach out of weakness series. I don't always do that. I'm, I'm the king of excuses. I, I've used the busy excuse more times than I can count. I've used that. I got something to go to. I've got something coming up. I'm just emotionally drained. You know what happens whenever we choose to start intentionally loving and blessing our neighbors? You begin to see things radically shift around you. You know how we know that? Because Jesus told the lawyer, do this and you will live. You're going to have a healthier spiritual life. I promise you that. That Jesus said, this is how you inherit eternal life. Do you know what you're also going to have? A healthier physical life. There was a study done um, in the midst of COVID. There was a study done in the midst of COVID, and they challenged this group of people. Hey, for four weeks, I want you to love your neighbor. And they kind of asked them when they went into it, their mental state and where they were at in life. And 10 of them said they were, what did they say, clinically lonely, extremely isolated. That's what they said. So for four weeks, they had people love their neighbors. Simple stuff. Watering their plants. Having a conversation with them on their porch. And at the end of this study, that group that said that they were extremely lonely was cut in half. By simple stuff. Just simply loving their neighbor. I mean, imagine if that was the way we did life, you would have more hope around you, more joy, more compassion, more care for those around you. I mean, it, it's a powerful thing to love our neighbors. And that's just what we would be experiencing. You know who else would be experiencing it? All the people that you're loving. All the people that you're blessing would begin to experience the same thing. And what a, what a shame. What a shame if we let our surface level excuses cause us to miss out on the life that God has for us and, and cause the people around us to miss out on what he has for them. Whenever we are purposeful loving our neighbors, we find the life God has for us and we breathe life into people around us. this series for some reason has had me thinking like real big picture for our city for our area the big country what what would the big country look like if just us caught it just Beltway Park and God's doing incredible things at so many churches around our city I have dear friends that are leading Pioneer Drive and friends that are leading at the well and God's doing incredible things in Anson and God's moving in our area. But let's set that aside for a second. What if just us at Beltway Park caught a passion and a fire for loving people around us in the way that Jesus told the lawyer to? Not grabbing hold of the excuses that are so easy. What would it look like? it would shift the entire landscape of our city. Abilene in the big country would be a different place if we caught hold of this. Because it's infectious. Because you know what? You start to love your neighbor that way and they experience it, they then go and do it too. 
God would do incredible things in our city, incredible things in our region. That's what I want. I want what's best. I don't want to settle for the things that I often grab and use excuses for. I, I want what's best. And just like I, the dad of my girls, know that them getting their tails to bed is what is best for them. The Lord knew what he was doing when he was telling us to love our neighbors. You see, it would be way easier to not do that. But he knew the power of what it looks like when followers of Jesus love him with all that they are and then love their neighbor. He knew what would happen in the areas where people caught hold of that with a fire and a passion. It would mean revival in our city. It would mean revival in the big country. And because Abilene has been a sending place for as long as I can remember with the universities and with Dias, it would mean that God could use this little no-name town in the midst of three cow pastures. I think I said that right. That's the first time I've ever said that at Bellway, but he would use this to spark fires all over our nation, all over our world. He's doing that now. And it would just continue. So my challenge for you is this. Just like Jesus challenged the lawyer at the end of telling the parable of the Good Samaritan, you tell me then which of these men was your neighbor. Which of these men was the neighbor? And Jesus and the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy. Jesus said, that's right, go and do likewise. My challenge for you this evening is simple. Go and do likewise. Set aside the excuses. Set aside the inconveniences. It's not love your neighbor unless just love your neighbor. So if you will, if you bow your heads, I'm going to give us just a moment to respond. Holy Spirit, right now as we wrap up week two of Like a Good Neighbor, I, I ask that you would give us grace. Give us grace to see the excuses that we use. boldness to not sweep them aside. Would you show us, God, the areas that we've put qualifiers on loving our neighbor? Would you show us the areas that you want to move through us to breathe life into our city? God, we thank you for the ways that you're moving. We thank you for Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.